Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi alongside me is The Shark. We're brought to you by Dash Radio and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe to the podcast on whichever device you use. I actually heard former point guard, former Syracuse Orange, Scoop Jardine subscribe, so you should as well. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feed is and Shark at Shark underscore Ultra BB. We're sponsored by Blue Note, artfully crafted small batch bourbon distilled in Memphis and honoring the Memphis Blues. Be noteworthy, Memphis. Syracuse point guard. I didn't think you were going to go, you know, the notable ones, like for us, at least Steven Dorf and McNamara. I had a strange thought in my mind that you were going Johnny Flynn, but to go scoop Jardine, that's intriguing. I mean, it, it, I, I don't have a book out on you right now. Like, I'm, I felt like I had a good I think when you think I zag. Yeah, that was a pretty good move. So scoop Jardine, I got to really uh, get back in the film room on you there, Sue. So here's a little nugget, a little film room, some tendencies, if you, if you will. I do my best to drop name drop in the beginning, someone from a team that has done something notable in the past week. 
And so I chose Scoop Jardine this week because Syracuse pulled off a huge win at Cameron Indoor. I'm actually going to pat myself on the back because I'm going to refrain from making fun of Jim Beheim because there's there's this theory out there that it could be because of his prostate cancer, why he peed his pants. So uh, hug for me. I'm actually not going to pile on Jim Beheim for that, but that's completely unrelated. Syracuse with a huge win in Cameron. So you had to give some love to the point guard of the team. It was him and Brandon Trish. I think that was the last time Syracuse was consistently good. Consistently. I mean, I think you can, assuming the team this year makes the tournament, I think you can put, you know, this conglomerate here as a consistently good team. They've made it. This would be their third straight year. They had a final four run a couple of years ago. They made it pretty far last year. I mean, I don't know what you define as consistent, but it's pretty fucking good. I think it's just me always wondering on selection Sunday, how Syracuse gets into the tournament and make no mistake about it. This game that was played last night, that, that's all they needed. They actually just punched their ticket. It's the equivalent of them winning the ACC. Oh, yeah. tournament. You just got to split the ACC the rest of the way. I mean, that's a great win. Um, that's, that's the beauty of being in the ACC. You know, you have these opportunities every single week. Uh, it's just a matter of floating around the middle in terms of a conference record at the end of the year. I did want to go back to another thing you said right there. And I know I normally interrupt you when you had the player, but this is completely off topic, but something I've always wondered. When we say you go back and you look at the film or you want to break down film lately, I've noticed, and this is mainly with, you know, college football people and NFL scouts and all those guys, they say they're going to look at the tape. So what I'm wondering, what is the difference between the film and what is the film and the tape? I mean, this is a completely, you know, meta topic right now, but I'm, I'm presenting it to you, Father, for you to give me an input on what is between film and tape. Oh, I think the contemporary term is film. Someone actually brought this up because they get upset when someone says I'm watching tape. No, apparently nobody watches tape because you think of the old-timey legitimate role, I mean, they're, they're interchangeable right? right now. Well, yeah, I, I think we need to chew on this a little bit. And just, I think they're interchangeable. I'm not going to – it's like tournament and tournament to me. I'll use one or the other. It's the same. I just wanted to put that on your radar. That's out there. Noted. All right, let's dive in here. Let's talk a little last week in Theat, our first segment. I'm going to rank the buzzer beaters – excuse me, ranking the buzzer beaters of this past week. There were a lot of them, and I got five that I want to rank right off the top of the bat. Rice and UTEP. Two teams that nobody gives a shit about. But Rice and UTEP was a wild finish there. The UTEP player actually hit a hit a game winner with 0.5 seconds left. Now that's going to evoke a lot of memories about Derek Fisher and what he did in San Antonio. So actually, if you're playing the sport of basketball in the state of Texas, watch out for – the game's not over. You got to wait until triple zeros hit the clock. But the UTEP player, he was running away from the hoop. This was there's a lot to break down and unfold here. He's running away from the hoop with 0.5 seconds left. I'm actually not really sure how he was able to catch, turn, and hit all within 0.5 seconds. If I was a Rice player, and if you look at it at the film or the tape, the Rice players were saying, "What the fuck is this? Stop celebrating!" There's no way that he hit that shot. He did. 
So that's a hell of a play though, running away from the hoop with 0.5 seconds left and nailing the shot. Additionally, it was shown that the inbounds pass prior to the game winning play was actually tipped by rice. So rice is defending and they tip the ball and it goes out of bounds, but apparently no time went off the clock. Now, when you're talking about tenths of a second and a game winning shot, that's pretty goddamn important. So I think we may have a situation. I get, I think rice actually legitimately is challenging this incredible to me that a program like rice is even taking the time to do this. I think they have like seven wins on the season, but a lot to unpack there. I got to rank that number one. Well, on my, on my how list. many, how many wins does UTEP have? I don't know. I have zero clue. Cause I had, the only thing I could tell you about UTEP was the fact that Tim Floyd, who I will, I'll consider it. That's one of my boys. I love that guy. That guy should just psycho on the court. I don't know. Yeah, he's insane. He, he reminded me of the guy, the manager from major league that has like the heart attack when he's firing up the team and the dugout that one time or a heart attack, that guy, I forget his name, but that's how I always pictured Tim Floyd on the court. And plus he was always kind of like, he'd always run his mouth. He'd run his mouth at, I think I remember him doing it with Andy Enfield when Enfield took the USC job, the uh, dunk, dunk city, whatever they called him back in the day. But yeah, always liked Tim Floyd. Apparently he's not the coach anymore because he had some health issues and in fact the new coach holy shit i'm doing this all on the fly it's tony barbie tony barbie he coached at auburn for about four years huh all right well let's get to your next buzzer beater there i actually remember that little nugget about tim floyd he was very close to becoming the arizona head coach after lute olson stepped down I thank the good Lord every single day that that didn't happen. Instead, we're stuck with a mediocre coach who loses in the Elite Eight. So it's better than Tim Floyd. Let's move on to number two, your conference, the SEC, Texas A&M at Alabama. I'm going to rank this at number two uh, for the buzzer beaters this past week because the Texas A&M player had to go not really the length of the court. It wasn't a Tyus Edney situation or anything like that, but there was about four seconds left. He gets the ball under his own hoop, starts dribbling, attacking, and he's a lefty apparently. So this guy's attacking on the right side of the court and he's falling out of bounds to, to his right. So he's falling away from the hoop and he banks in a three. Huge win. Great buzzer beater. Both of those teams, again, not very good. So you may be wondering why I'm ranking these two at the top because all four of these teams, Rice, UTEP, Tamu, and Bama, are bumps. But the level of difficulty on these shots is impressive. So I wanted to I wanted to really give a hat tip there for for Texas A and M. Now this is these are probably the the games that you were televised at the very least, and that a lot of the country saw. Number three, Georgetown Providence. I got two words for you: McClung, Milk. Mac McClung, baby. We've been talking about him on this program since we aired. So Mac McClung, freshman. I made the mistake of saying he's from the DMV area. Where is he from? Southern Virginia somewhere. Okay. Mac McClung Gate hits the game tying three at the end of Rick. What's that? Gate City, I think it's called. Something like that, but not, not in the DMV area. Okay. Yeah, so Mac McClung hits the game-tying three to force it to overtime. 
he hits another huge three in overtime and Providence eventually loses. So here's a couple factors why this landed at number three. Number one, Mac McClung. I will pick a quick bone here with FS1 because they refer to him as Mac, which they should. But in his graphic, his highlight package, they called him Matthew McClung. That really upset me. His name's Mac. Guy's got an awesome fucking name. It's not Matthew McClung. So the McClung factor, number two, PC, Providence College. We had the crier on last week, and I think we kind of gave him the kiss of death. I asked him why he loves Ed, Ed Cooley so much, and Cooley kind of fucked up twice in this game. Providence College was up three twice towards the end of regulation and also in overtime, and they don't foul. I've never understood, Shark, why this is even a quote-unquote debate. You hear announcers always say it. Well, the big debate is, do you foul up three or do you just let them shoot? No, you foul every single fucking time. Foul every time, and if you lose, then at the very least, you can say to yourself, it's because we missed free throws. Providence doesn't foul twice. Georgetown escapes with the win. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. I mean, I ran on that platform a few weeks ago on one of our shows. You need to foul if there is less than five seconds and you're up by three and the other team's got the ball. If you don't, you're committing malpractice. You're an idiot. You need to foul. Take it out of their hands. Make sure you mug the crap out of them so they can't even get the shot up because that actually happened in another game. I forget which one I was watching for that when they fouled them actually attempting the three. Don't let the ball out of the opposing player's hands. It should be that simple. It should be ingrained into these athletes' heads. Foul when you're up by three with less than five seconds left. 100%. I do want to ask you though didn't didn't bc run into this earlier in the season didn't weren't they up three at some point in a game yeah, and they, they were. Again, it was against providence thanks for asking i mean of course ed cooley can benefit by you know having the other team fuck it up and then he wins and then he fucks it up and he still wins i mean whatever Time won tonight, though, so yeah ed, eddie's back i guess eddie's back providence beat seton hall at home seton hall of course um, owns the, the head coach being in our, our big three of bald headed, tough white coaches with Kevin Willard of Seton Hall, um, Chris Mack at Louisville, and Mick Cronin at Cincinnati. All them all time games actually this past weekend for, for them in terms of how angry they got. I mean, Mick Cronin is just a sight to behold. He gets so fucking angry and he's so such a little man. But yeah, time is a flat circle. McConaughey, he told us that. Providence is the beneficiary, and now they screwed that up. So that was number three. Coming in at number four, everyone saw this. Duke at Florida State, Cam Reddish hitting the game-winning three at the very end. If that's not a visual representation of the difference between Leonard Hamilton and Coach K, I don't know what is. That's just terrible defense. Leonard's got to be switching everything. You could see what the issue was. Florida State wanted or was so concerned about protecting the rim, so concerned about the alley-oop that they forgot to cover the best shooter, one of the best shooters in the entire country, Cam Reddish. Uh, so that's a great, it was a great play call there from, from Coach K. There's actually some audio in the huddle where he looks at Cam and he says, are you ready? And obviously Reddish hit the three. The guy was wide open. So that was an awesome game. Actually, Florida State 
that should have been a win for them. Very well could be a backbreaker in terms of seeding. Florida State's going to make the tournament, but they lose that game, and then they turn around and lose at Pitt. So those are two, two, two losses that should have been Ws for Florida State. So first and foremost, some of the worst defense you'll ever see from the Seminoles. But number two, for everyone that doesn't like Duke, for everyone that doesn't want Duke to win, this is the worst news possible because the person that hit the shot, Cam Reddish, was struggling. And it's so perfect for Duke that the guy to hit the game winner, gain as much confidence as he can back, is Cam Reddish. So they were kind of bulldozing teams with Zion and R.J. Barrett with a little Jack White sprinkled on the side. Cam Reddish, people are forgetting about him, but he's back. And he, and he showed it in a big way against Florida State. So, I, I, I mean, you kidding me? That's essentially a layup. He was wide open on the court. I mean, this guy is a top five recruit in the nation. You're not going to expect him to hit a 20-foot jumper. I mean, that, that is literally run-of-the-mill type stuff for any NBA player any NBA player that's worth his salt that actually gets minutes, maybe outside of like Willie Hernan Gomez or whatever that guy is. But I mean, anyone can hit that jumper. So to say that this guy all of a sudden has got the monkey off his back, I got to see a little bit more. Um, and Coach K looking at man in the huddle saying, you ready? As if he's about to go storm into battle. Give me a fucking break. I mean, the guy just literally ran up to the top and flared out to the top of the key, stood there wide open, nobody within five feet and hit the jumper. Yeah, he had a game winner, though. That's all that matters. And he had a good game all around. That's that's the exact type of confidence boost that he needed because everyone was getting up his ass. Oh, about clearly, playing well. clearly worked out when they went to went back to Cameron Indoor against Syracuse a couple of days later. Ah, Such that's a, true. In fact, they are 0-1-1 after that shot that Cam Reddish made. So That's not Cam's fault, though. Cam's back. I'm just stating facts. Coming in at number five, the last buzzer beater that I wanted to touch base on is UConn and Cincinnati. This wasn't that great. It wasn't a three-point shot like some of the others that we had just listed. But uh, Gilbert for UConn goes in, hits a layup for the tie. There was actually a point in this game where UConn rattled off nine straight points. It was just three consecutive threes. And so that's actually when I saw Mick Cronin at the apex of anger. So I want to thank UConn for not only making it a close game, but also eliciting that reaction there from Mick Cronin. So layup for the tie. Cincinnati ends up winning in overtime. Reason I wanted to bring this up, though, is do you remember, I think it was 2014, 2015, in the conference tournament, UConn versus Cincinnati. I think that game went to four overtimes, and UConn forced one of those overtimes by hitting like a three-quarter shot. Was that, that I think I do. Wasn't that uh Shonker Patrick on Cincinnati? Yeah, he, he might have been on I mean the, the reason I'm bringing that up is because Rick Patino just signed Sean Kirkpatrick and Pat- Kilpatrick. Kilpatrick. Kilpatrick, yeah. Panathinakos just signed him. So that's your team. Hey man. I think you gotta continue following them. I am. That's how else do I know about Kirkpatrick getting signed there? Patino tweeted about the effort that Kirkpatrick put in. Signed him off the Sean Kilpatrick, please. Why, why are you Kirkpatrick, Kilpatrick? Patino tweeted about the effort. Patino, this is how good of a coach he is. He counts the deflections that occur throughout the game. Steals, deflections, anytime you get the hand on the ball as a defensive team. Kilpatrick, he'll gobble those up. I don't 
I, I would make the argument that you don't necessarily have the respect for Panathinaikos as you should. You're butchering their names. Called Nick Kalathis Kalathis last weekend. You're calling Sean Kilpatrick Kirkpatrick. It's not Drake Kirkpatrick. I, have some respect for the I, team that you're supposed to be loving. I don't think I can pronounce the team, so I think that's keeping in the spirit of my support of them. So that was uh, the first topic here in last week of the top five buzzer beaters. A lot of good theater moving forward. I do want to make a quick PSA for anyone that follows us on Twitter or follows me on Twitter that anytime there is a game winner or a shot that forces a game into overtime, a last second shot, anything like that, I'm going to tweet out the gif of Farmer Fran from the water boy. What is rubbing his nipples? Yeah. That's when you know. So there's there's theater. I'll always tweet, hey, theater in such and such. That's when there's about a minute and a half, two minutes. But when you see that Farmer Frank gif rubbing on his nips, that's when you know that some shit really went down. Game winner or uh, a shot that forced overtime. I believe it was the late, uh, not even the late. It, I believe it was Ludacris who once said, stop, drop, kaboom. Baby rub on your nipples. So I think he was, yeah, he was thinking of Farmer Fran. Of course. Oh, now I just got the image of Farmer Fran rubbing on his nipples in the music video with Ludacris. <laughs> Good. Okay, let's move on to the next topic here. I wanted to touch base on injuries and the players that were out starting last week. So on last episode, we talked about Azabuke's injury for Kansas Another big-time player in the Big 12, maybe not on the level as Azubuke, but Jalen Fisher for TCU has swelling in his knee. So he's he's out for an indefinite period, according to TCU and Jamie Dixon. And it just stinks for TCU because, first of all, he's a really talented player and he's important to them and their tournament hopes. But TCU's that program where for the past four or five years, and especially ever since Jamie Dixon got on campus, that they were projected to be maybe a top four seed in the tournament max uh, lowest top five. So it just seems like we're waiting for them to get over that hump and have at least one or two really good years, years like Tennessee, maybe not a top five team, but a top 15 team. And they always just seem to be hovering around that 20 to 25 mark. And this injury certainly doesn't know good. Yeah, well, let's not hold their memorial service just yet because they beat West Virginia by 30 points tonight. West West Virginia's terrible. They suck. I don't care. Anytime you beat Bob Huggins by 30 points, we're we're not, you know, putting you six feet under just yet. I'm not putting them six feet under either. I think they're going to be a lukewarm team. Jamie Dixon's a hell of a coach. But we're waiting. I feel like we've just been waiting for the past few years for a breakout season from TCU. Because they they were completely irrelevant, especially in the Big Twelve a couple of years back. Let's say around 2011 to 2013. Then Jamie Dixon comes and he's conducting like a resurrection. But yeah, well, last he's year his boys healthy. Last year could have been their year if it wasn't uh, for running into Syracuse and that that play that first round after Syracuse got hot in their first win. Yeah. So I mean, who knows, man? I I, I like Jalen Fisher a lot. Um, He's he's tough as nails. I mean, if you guys don't know him, he's the guy that is albino on TCU. Um, he was kind of keeping that under wraps for a while, but they just did. I read an article in one of the 
one of the well not under wraps he didn't discuss <laughs> yeah, I, mean, under wraps. I mean obviously you can tell that he's Alabama but yeah. he didn't discuss it with the media but he is doing that now just uh, I guess he grew up outside of Memphis um he's the only black guy with blonde hair is what he said in the article I thought it was a good line so he's probably dealt with a lot of adversity probably been picked on a whole bunch been signaled out and definitely the best player on TCU so a big loss for them so Doak's out for Kansas, Jalen Fisher out for TCU. This is the big one uh, of the year, not just last week, but probably the biggest injury thus far in the season. Trey Jones, stud freshman point guard for Duke, brutal sh- shoulder injury in last night's game against Syracuse. He was diving for the ball, and it was one of those injuries where you could just tell that hurts. Uh, so Trey Jones, he's a no-go against Virginia, which stinks. Cam Reddish might be a no-go for Virginia, so... You might. We're going to talk about the upcoming Duke Virginia game, but without those two guys, I think Virginia is going to win pretty easily. But Trey Jones being out is a monster blow for Duke. Now, I don't have a ton of sympathy for them because they still have Barrett, Reddish, and Williamson, but he is the butter on the roll. He is the butter on the biscuit. He is the milk in the bottle. That is Trey Jones. Trey Jones is the one that. He's he's the orchestrator, right? He's the guy that makes that team go. He's their most important player. And it actually reminds me of the injury suffered by Marcus Page for North Carolina a couple of years back. I think it was four, four or five years back. Carolina was rolling. Marcus Page was their most important player, and he got hurt. I actually think it was the year before they lost to Villanova. But he got hurt, and I think everyone knew that Carolina's chances were done. So Trey Jones has a while to to rehab before the tournament starts, but make no mistake about it. This is huge for Duke. This is huge news. Yeah. It's a brutal loss uh, simply because you, I mean, all you have to do is go back a couple of years and you can see Trey's older brother, Tyus, uh, who was also a point guard for Duke and see the value that he added uh, to Duke as kind of the, I can't put it as eloquently as your butter and, biscuit uh, analogies but along those lines i mean he clearly is the guy that facilitates he's clearly the guy and this is i mean the the essence of being a point guard that you need to be able to read the four other guys uh, on the court's minds figure out when they need their touches figure out what's going to get them rolling and realize that basketball is a team sport rather than an individual sport especially at the college level so having those point guards that are savvy enough to think about, you know, the we, not the me. That's what Trey Jones brings to the table, and especially at a team like Duke when you have so many egos on the court. So it's a huge loss, and we'll see how they perform. I mean, once he went out in that Syracuse game, you get you get one, you could tell almost immediately that Duke was in trouble because on the other side you had, you had a team that's played together for a while, and you, you have guys, you know, like, you know, Chukwa and um, – uh, you know, battle these guys that have played together for a while that understand the intricacies of their each other's games, which is why the, the significance of having a guy like Trey Jones for Duke. Yeah, I'm actually going to rewind here a little bit and address your point about the Cam Reddish thing and how they're 0 1 after a shot. Completely forgot to blame that all on Trey Jones. So your Cam Reddish theory does not hold water. Trey Jones being out was the reason why Syracuse ended up winning that game, but I think everyone can agree that Trey Jones being out, no bueno for Duke. 
And then last but not least, this isn't an injury, but a player that's been ruled out indefinitely thus far. You already dropped his name. Andy Enfield has ruled Kevin Porter out for conduct detrimental to the team. Kevin Porter's a stud. I think he's projected to be a top 15 pick in the NBA draft. He plays for USC. Not a lot of people probably knew that because the Pac-12 stinks and nobody is paying attention to them. I'm leading that trend that the Pac-12 completely sucks, and I still think they're only going to get one team. But huge blow. I don't, I don't really care about USC uh, and their tournament chances. They're probably not going to make it unless they win the conference tournament. But Kevin Porter being out is just a huge blow to the Pac-12 talent, right? Even with him in there, it's just not worth watching that, that conference. So he's out. Manute Bowles' kid is out. What's his name? Bowl Bowl's out. I don't know how I forgot Bowl Bowl. What's his name? Are you kidding yeah, me? I, Literally the same name, just repeated. Manute Bowl Bowl. I'm just going to start fact, calling I would go, if there's one name that you really just can't forget, I mean, you had it. All you, by saying Bowl, you had the name, and yet you forgot the, his full name. It's fascinating. The guy's played like three games. Oh, I, I completely forgot about it. Such an absurd name. How could you forget it? I mean, it's not absurd, but like it's so memorable. It's the same name twice, and you forgot the guy's name. I remember Kevin Porter. Yeah. Right. Well, him being out, Kevin Porter being out, those are some big time names that are no longer playing at the moment. So to just take inventory here, Hidoka Azabuke, Jalen Fisher, Trey Jones, Kevin Porter, all not playing at the moment. And hopefully they get back on the court here soon. All right. Yeah, and I, th- I think in real time we can potentially add another one to that, Father. Who? Marcus Howard on Marquette. So they, what happened with him? Marquette is playing Georgetown. There's one minute left. It's tied 70-70. And Marcus Howard played the first two minutes of the game, and he left with lower back spasms, and he hasn't played the entire game. So that is that obviously – a brutal blow to Marquette if he's out because he, they're kind of finally taking that leap from just an offensive team to a team that can win close games. And if they lose Howard, that's a dagger. Um, also a dagger is he only played two minutes and he got no points. So that's going to just kill his points per game average. Too, so I kind of feel for him there, but that does suck. I mean, he, he's fine on points per game though. Didn't he drop 50 plus the other day? Yeah, no, he's got to, he's got to even out somehow there. Yeah, well, it shouldn't. That's what I'm saying. He busted his ass in the 50, and now he's going to put up zero. I mean, it's no different than uh, just like a like a R.J. Barrett game. You know, just putting up 20 and change. Moving on, I'm going to talk real quick about Wisconsin and their awful first half that they had against Maryland. They had 15, 15 total American points in one half of college basketball. That is... That's the, that's like an offensive explosion in youth basketball, fourth, fifth grade basketball, not a division one, big 10 school like Wisconsin. So they put up 15. They actually had a furious comeback in the second half against Maryland, almost pulled it out, but they didn't. And this isn't the first time that this has happened to Wisconsin. They scored 14 points earlier in the season in a half. In a half. I don't know. I don't know how you do that though. Twice. Twice scoring less than 17 points and a half. Inexcusable for Greg Card. Not a silent assassin, John Rothstein. Uh, I'm going to stop you right now. And I'm going to tell you that this guy 
is a silent assassin because I watched that entire game. I watched that entire game. They were playing here in Maryland. Maryland's super excited about Bruno Fernando, this and that, whatever. Wisconsin, they were horrible in the first half. You're right. Horrible team. But I I love the grit on this team. And in fact, we're going to get to it later. They're playing, they're at home against Michigan on Saturday. I'm picking, I'm picking the Badgers, but I just think this team has a run in them. You know, they had, these guys have a run in them. They have every little piece that you would want. They have the big center, the senior that you can just throw it to him. Ethan Happ on the post whenever you want, and he can get you a bucket. They have the freaking tough as nails sophomore Brad Davison, you know, who could have played football or whatever, but he just the vintage dagger three uh, type player for Wisconsin. They got another one in Pritzel, Kobe King. They got this point guard, Demetrius Trice. All these guys can play. They're young. They're feisty. They're vintage, vintage Wisconsin Badgers. Picture like Bronson Koenig. You remember him? Of course, I remember him. I hated Bronson Koenig. I hated that whole team from like 2013 to 16. Take four Koenigs, all right? You got four Koenigs? You got, I, I got, got it. it. Yeah, all they, right. they, they, they all have chest tattoos as well. Hold on. I'm not done yet. All right, you got four Koenigs, and then you got a Nigel Hayes, like, filled, sprinkled in to each one of them. And then you got Ethan Happ, who's Frank Kaminsky. And they have this other guy. I think he's a freshman, this goon off the bench that was drilling threes um, rivers rivers, rivers. Yeah. oh Roy, my god I mean, he did miss like three he made them before baby this guy I'm, I'm telling you wisconsin slip into that tournament get on that 10 seed line i'm taking you to beat the seven i'm taking you to beat the two we're going to the sweet 16 me and the wisconsin badgers if I'm Frank Kaminsky somewhere, hopefully listening to this, and I hear that I'm being compared to Ethan Happ, I'm losing it. I'm punching no, 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 computer. No. Ethan, Ethan Happ is not Ethan, Ethan Happ. Happ getting He's getting compared to Kaminsky. Whatever. Those two are not in the same stratosphere. Frank Kaminsky was a three-ball killer and a big-time ball player. Ethan Happ's pretty good, but he's just a really he's he's a perfect white Wisconsin big man who we're, we're never going to hear from again. This is, Frank Kaminsky is somewhat of a contributor in the NBA. I can see the tournament potential on this team already. It's like one of those things, you know, the great horse trainers, a lot of times they can walk up and look at a horse and be like, you know, I'm, I'm going to win. I'm going to win the Travers with that horse or I'm going to win the Derby with that horse. That's what I'm doing right now with a college basketball team. I'm looking at this thing. I'm looking at the hind leg. I'm looking at the curvatures of the horse. I'm looking at the, you know, everything that goes into picking a winner. And I'm seeing it with Wisconsin right now. They just got to get in. They got to get in because they already got a lot of losses. (laughs) They have six fucking losses. Where am I right now? And they're playing the Big Ten. They're about to get their seventh against Michigan. I'll I'll let you talk about that a little bit later. There's something about guys. There's something about them. Maybe in the NIT. You're talking like these guys are a lock already. So Wisconsin. Well, let's see if Wisconsin can put together more than 29 cumulative points in two halves. Let me see that first and foremost. So Wisconsin, two straight losses, terrible offensive performance against Maryland. I I did real quick make a Rothstein referee or Rothie. And we dropped the ball on that last week. So our streak is broken of Rothstein references on the program. So let's start another one right here. 
I don't know if you saw this, but John Rothstein in the studio, or they, they, I don't know, somewhere in the back of CBS Studios, there was a mouse that was loose, and everyone's shrieking. They're scared of the mouse, obviously, but they seem like there were some pretty humane people in there saying, no, don't kill it, don't kill it. <laughs> Rothstein, Rothstein grabs like a trash can, and he fucking kills the mouse. John Rothstein grabs the trash can and kills him. If that's not the most Rothstein move of all time, I don't know what is. He calls Greg a guard asylum assassin. That's Rothstein, actually. He probably sees a lot of himself in Greg Gard. More consistent than a few good men on Sunday. I mean, Rothstein, if you're going to get, if he doesn't care who you are, if you're going to get in, in his way when it comes to college basketball, mid-season, he will kill you. He doesn't care if you're a mouse. I'm not going to finish that thought, but continue. Rothstein. I can't, I can't get over John Rothstein just picking up a trash can in front of everyone, bashing a mouse to death, and then just carrying on tweeting about college basketball, like <laughs> Siena versus some other bum team, as if he didn't just kill another, another living creature. But that's why we love him. And you're right. Nothing gets in his way. Real quick, before we go to upcoming the, I want to recap my predictions from last week. I said Florida State would keep it close, but lose to Duke. Nailed that, although Florida State should have won that game. Clemson keeps it close versus Virginia, and Dabo Sweeney and the boys come out at halftime. Neither of those things happened. I, I don't even think Dabo and those guys <laughs> came out at halftime. Uh, they did get a nice meal with Domino's and, and McDonald's the other night, courtesy of the president. But yeah, Clemson did not keep it close versus Virginia. And I don't think they hosted the national champions in football. I thought Texas, I thought Texas was going to beat Texas tech kind of close, but tech ended up winning that game. And then I also said, Ohio state would continue their tailspin losing to Iowa. That second out of their third, out of their three losses though, at Rutgers, Good God, have some pride. I don't think other the other Big Ten teams recognize Rutgers as a Big Ten team. So Ohio State's in some real big trouble with some bad losses. Yeah, Ohio State's got a big one. They play Maryland this weekend. Um, and the, we're at the point in the season where we're starting to see people separate themselves. You're starting to see the tiers within the conferences, the teams that are contenders, the teams that are in that second class. And then you're seeing, the, you know, just – the trash teams. Um, so that that's kind of where we're at, at this juncture, um, with respect to upcoming feet. So upcoming feet this week, we're going to, I'm going to keep it separated into the three, the conferences, um, big 10 sec and ACC within the big 10. I'd, I'd like to give you guys a game during the week because you know, this, this show will probably air, on Wednesday morning. Um, in fact, I'll tell you right now, the games on Wednesday, they suck. There's really, there's not very good games tomorrow night. Um, but I identified a little sleeper on Thursday night. And I think this one's going to be pretty good. It's going to be Michigan state at Nebraska, Nebraska ball, Tim miles been coaching there for a few years. They made the tournament a couple of years back. They played Creighton. They got the shit beaten out of them. Tim miles from there kind of changed the trajectory of the program where he'd start bringing in these transfers and it's finally working. It's working for this team. Uh, they played 
Indiana the other night and really just went into IU and beat the shit out of them. But the reason I'm bringing about Nebraska and the reason they've caught my radar is their three top scorers are all guys named with the name Junior at the end. James Palmer Jr., Isaac Copeland Jr., and Glenn Watson Jr. I don't think that's ever happened before. I mean, you're lucky to get one junior on a team, but to get three on the same team and have them be the top three leading scorers, I think that's very fascinating. In fact, two of those juniors at the very top of that list, James Palmer and Isaac Copeland, are transfers. So staying within that 10 miles, you know, credo of bringing guys in, you know, from other programs, James Palmer transferred from Miami, Isaac Copeland transferred from Georgetown, and this guy, Glenn, his name could be Glenn. I'm hoping it's not Glenn because that's a very... Glenn? Name. Well, it's spelled... G- Was it I? No, G-L-Y-N-N. I'm, I'm giving, I'm calling him Glenn because I'm hoping it's Glenn, but it very well could be Glenn, in which case we might have some issues here. But anyway... Yeah. Um, he, he, that guy just stayed at Nebraska for the, all four years. But anyways, these guys are all seniors. They're old. They're veterans. They've been around for a while. So watch out for this team. They went into Indiana, not an easy place to play, beat the bricks off the Hoosiers, and now they're going to have their big opportunity against Michigan State, the cream of the crop outside of Michigan uh, of the Big Ten. And I think Nebraska, this is their opportunity. Soup, have you heard of Nebraska at all this year? Yeah, actually. So you're right that they did go into Indiana at Bloomington there and whooped up on Archie Miller's team. I will say that Nebraska also has a sneaky good home court advantage. I mean, their crowd gets pretty loud for a school that is mostly known for their football, even though they suck as well. But you're right. Tim Miles has done an excellent job with Nebraska and the upset is is ripe for opportunity. They're great. They're, they're not. I shouldn't say they're great. That's ridiculous. They're not great. But they're a good ball club. Michigan State coming into their home uh, home arena. I'm actually with you. I'm going to take I'm going to take Nebraska ball over over Michigan State. Well, they, they, I don't even know if they're good. They, I don't know if they're good. I mean, it, they've rounded off a few wins now. They're they're pretty good. They're probably a tournament team. They're close. I mean, their only wins in the Big Ten are against Penn State and Indiana. They beat. Look, it's tough as an unranked team to go into Indiana. Oh, excuse me. They, they played a on the road against. A, it's, it's tough for an unranked team to go into Indiana against a ranked Indiana team and just completely dominate the game. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that game against Michigan state. That's a good little find. There. That's something for you guys on Thursday. You know, it's, it's towards we're at the part of the year. There's only three football games left. You need to start figuring out how you're going to, you know, handle your week. There's nothing to watch on Thursday. You need something, um, and I, I think Michigan State, Nebraska, this is kind of kind of whip you back into the college basketball shape because Michigan State, you can see them too. And when we did our top 25 preview show at the beginning of the year, you and I both were down on Michigan State. We kind of talked a little bit on, you know, how they've been unsuccessful, a little bit overrated when you think of Tom Izzo in his tenure, but they are pretty tough. I don't know. I'm sure not a lot of people were watching this game. They played at Penn State on Sunday and it was kind of running up against New Orleans, the Saints, and uh, Eagles game. But Michigan State, they got this four. You know, I mean, they got Cassius Winston, the point guard, Nick Ward, just you know, plug and play, big, huge, fat, you know, kind of half fat, half skilled uh, yeah. center forward for Michigan State. They got Josh Langford, and then they got their perimeter guy, Matty McQuaid, to drill threes. They're tough. Don't they sleep are. on Michigan State. 
but I want to see what they're doing against Nebraska ball. So I think that's going to be a good one on Thursday, Father. I agree. So a couple items. One, you're right. Michigan State always has that beefy guy that's not necessarily fat. Or no, he was fat when he started his career and then chiseled his way down, kind of like a Jared Sollinger or a Dexter Pittman or literally Nick Ward or Derek Nix for Michigan State, Draymond Green. So you're right in that respect. Also, I think this is going to be my new thing moving forward, Shark, is trying to intertwine forcing a mixture of college football and college basketball. I'm going to call right now that Scott Frost will be in attendance at this Nebraska-Michigan State game. You think it's that big to, to pull out the Frost card there? Frost card, man. I was wrong about Clemson and, and them brandishing their trophy at halftime of Virginia Clemson. Let's double down. Give me Scott Frost in the building. All right. Well, we'll see if that works out. I'll be watching. I know that much. Um, just a quick kind of live note. Your boy and my boy, Mac McClung, missed a critical free throw at the end of the game against Marquette. And Marquette won by three, even without Sorry. Marcus Howard. So. Sorry, he actually, he actually had a phenomenal game, but it looked like that free throw could have been helpful. Anyways, moving on. Other games in the Big Ten, I wanted to touch on two more of them. All right, the first one is Indiana at Tar- Purdue. Why am I talking about Indiana at Purdue? It's not a great game on paper. It's two somewhat middling teams in the Big Ten. The reason I'm talking about it is simply because I've heard, uh, you know, there's this guy, his name's Logue. He's a big Hoosier fan bigger Hoosier fan than anyone I've encountered in my life. Frankly, when he discusses the Hoosiers, a lot of times it's just him talking to himself in the vicinity of other people. Um, he'll be in a group thread, literally just repeating himself or talking to himself. I'm talking 15 straight text messages just from him in the group thread related to IU basketball. Anyways, he's a big IU fan. Um, they're playing Purdue and he told me something, you know, a while ago. He said that there's an, a kind of an underrated rivalry between Indiana and Purdue. I never would have known this growing up on the East Coast. You living out on the West Coast, you probably have no clue what that means. But I guess Indiana Purdue is a huge rivalry. All right, up there with like Michigan, Ohio State, and all these other no. programs. All right, well, no, then, but I mean that's their own uh, that's their own thing. All right, well, I'm talking to like magnitude wise, it, it's up there. For these people, at least. I mean, between those two universities. Yeah. And strictly because all the IU fans think all the Purdue fans are a bunch of nerds because they, uh, you know, I guess it's a good engineering school. So Yeah, it is. They, I would, um, they put a man on the moon, I think, didn't they? I, I, have no, I mean, I didn't know much about this rivalry. So you think I know about what they've done in terms of the legacy of their university? Give me, give me a break here. But anyways, I wanted to put that out there. It's a big game for IU. They just lost to Nebraska ball, as we discussed. Purdue, uh, we were down on them at the beginning of the year. They're still kind of hanging around. I, I think that it, this is going to be a make-or-break game for either one of these teams to move into that kind of second tier or the other one's going to drop into the third tier because Indiana did not look good the other night. These guys can't shoot at all. Typically, you'd think Indiana, when you have someone that plays for them and they're playing in Assembly Hall, they're going to be able to drill multiple threes and make their free throws, but that is not the case with this team. Romeo Langford, uh, I, I'm not seeing it right now. The guy just can't shoot. Yeah, I, I was curious about what happened to Romeo Langford. Obviously, he's still, he's still playing well. Every time we watch Indiana, he's making some pretty awesome plays. But we thought 
we would be in this position here in January prior to the season talking about him and Zion and some of the other stud freshmen, RJ Barrett. Seems as if Zion and Barrett, obviously they're playing for Duke and the number one team in the country. But Langford really hasn't ascended to that upper echelon. And you're right about these two teams, Purdue and Indiana. They're both teams that typically are hanging around the 23 to 25 ranked type of position, maybe even unranked. I remember in the first episode, we discussed the top 25 and Purdue, I think, came in at 25. And we just said other oh, placeholders. That's just I think the the people that are ranking this just had to put someone there and they chose Purdue. So this is a huge rivalry, though. Indiana basketball, first and foremost, is Obviously, that's their that's their number one sport. But Indiana-Purdue is indeed a huge rivalry. It's big even in football. Obviously, on the basketball court, it is as well. But I'm kind of upset that we've never really seen these two teams at their very, very best at the same time. So Purdue's kind of dominated while Indiana was dormant these past few years. Now you sort of see the tide changing with Archie Miller coming in, Romeo Lankford, that recruiting class. So Purdue's kind of dominated in terms of overall success. I don't know what their head-to-head is uh, over the past few years, but Purdue a couple times have been mentioned as Final Four threats. Indiana hasn't these past few years. Indiana's big-time run, obviously, during maybe the Mike Davis area with Tom Coverdale and uh, Jared, Jared Jeffries. Purdue wasn't very good at, at that point. So I I feel like we're getting deprived of two teams in a grassroots state that should be hopefully top 10. And we're just not getting that. Yeah. I guess the one thing that these two uh, rivals have in common is the fact that neither has made a final four this century. Is that right? No, the Indi- Indiana was in the final four. I think in 2002 or so. They lost to that Jay Williams Duke team. That was in the, maybe they beat them. No, I think they beat them. No, that was in like the second round. I don't think that was in the Final Four. I'm pretty sure they went to a Final Four that year. Oh, shit. All right. With Mike Davis. This is why we need producers. He's now coaching. Yeah. That's why we need producers. I'll, I'll look that up. As you look that up, yeah. Let me, you know, I touched on this a little bit already, but. The other game to look out for is Michigan at Wisconsin. You know how I feel about Wisconsin. Uh, I really have no connection to this school. I just got a feeling watching a team. Sometimes when you get the energy coming off a team, you got the senior leadership, you got the tough, tough, hard-nosed basketball players. I think they are going to beat Michigan this weekend. Michigan's undefeated season is going to come to an end. Uh, It'll be in Madison, and Wisconsin's going to have that um, gold star win to get them over any sort of humps that they might face when it comes time for the tournament. They're going to be one of those classic, you know, 19 and 13 records, but they're going to get in and they're going to do damage. Uh, look out for Wisconsin. I know Sub has a different opinion about whether or not Michigan's going to lose this game or not. Well, so first and foremost, Indiana was the runner up. They literally played in the title game in 2002 and lost to Maryland stock. Yes, they did. Make the four. But Sorry, so look. you're going to say that both Michigan teams are going to go on the road and lose this week? Yeah. Both Michigan teams losing. And so you had also mentioned that you don't really have a personal connection or anything with Wisconsin. Well, I fucking do. I do. They've ripped my heart out, stomped on it two straight years. 
So I'm always happy and thrilled whenever Wisconsin loses. I do agree with you that they are going to make the tournament somehow with probably that bullshit record with 13 losses, but no chance they go into Chrysler and beat Michigan. The Wolverines are a goddamn machine right now. The three best teams in the country, in my humble opinion, in no particular order are Michigan, Virginia, and Tennessee. Both, all three of those teams are not only beating teams, they're beating the shit out of teams right now. Completely taking care of business. No chance a team that scores 14, 15 points in halves is going to go into, is going to beat Michigan. And I, I think I mentioned, excuse me, that they're going to go into Chrysler Arena. You said it's in Madison? Yeah. Okay. Well, there might be a higher chance that. But still, Michigan's going to walk into the Kohl Center and, uh, and beat Wisconsin. I don't, buy, I don't buy the Badgers beating number two. Yeah, I, I'm just finishing up the lap that I just had to run for forgetting that IU made it to the finals that year. So, uh, fuck. Anyways, <laughs> all right. Um, the next game on Saturday, we're going to the SEC. It's going to be two teams that are chasing the Tennessee Volunteers. You're looking at Kentucky rolling into Bruce Pearl, Alabama to play Auburn. And this one... It's kind of uh, – so Auburn um, – Kentucky beat Georgia tonight. They took care of business. Auburn's got to beat A&M tomorrow night. They'll take care of business. they got to get to this game, and they're both sitting right there in the middle. Auburn's number 14. Kentucky's number 12. They both have a handful of losses, but they're both right in the middle of that ACC, and they're looking up right now at a lot of teams in front of them. LSU's handling Ole Miss in Oxford right now, so LSU's above them. South Carolina, strangely, is undefeated in the SEC. And then you're going to have Tennessee, who obviously is just a freaking wagon right now that nobody can stop. And is is that going to No, I agree. No, not at all. They are just pummeling teams. It's, It's incredible to watch. But anyways, I'm focusing on these two. Kentucky and Auburn. This is a big one strictly because... They're probably going to be the two seed and the three seed when it comes time for the SEC tournament. They're probably going to be compared to one another, one another throughout the year on the two and the three seed line. So who's going to win this game? If you're Auburn, you better win because I believe you're going to have to go back into Kentucky. Um, yeah, you are at the end of February. And you don't want to have to be chasing, chasing wins at that point against a team that's going to be above you on the Joe Lenardi line. So both these teams, we know what they got. You know what you have on both sides. You got Bryce Brown on, you know, Auburn, Kentucky. It, strangely, is shooting the ball very poorly from three. Yet they're still hanging around and they have a good resume. So watch this game, get a feel for it, and figure out how you want to look at these teams moving forward. SEC is a lot of fun this year. We saw the Tennessee versus Florida matchup, and Tennessee ended up winning. Ended up winning that game, and then doing the Gator Chomp. Now I'm excited to see Auburn versus Tucky. Two of my favorite coaches, just in terms of how flamboyant they are, how crazy they are. Calipari, he's about to round into form in terms of his halftime interviews. So look for the kids' speech if Bruce Pearl and his boys are beating the shit out of them at halftime. So definitely looking forward to that game. Real quick, I don't know if you have another game that you want to touch base on, but Boise State is up two right now against Nevada, against our boy, Muscle Milk. Against my boy. It's your boy. (laughs) That would be a bad loss. I forget who they lost to earlier this year, but on the road to Boise State, 
right now down two. So we have some live theater for you. Down two with 47 seconds left. Yeah, real real gauntlet of a schedule they have to play too. I, I've been against Nevada all year. I think that they're a flash in the pan. I think we all loved them for a little bit because they scored points on a Sunday in the second round of the March Madness tournament last year and when we all happen to be watching. And I think we love the excitement that Eric Musselman brings to the table when he's screaming out, screaming on the court. He's a little guy and he's jacked and this and that, whatever. I I I don't know. I don't know. The only the only thing I like about Nevada is Jordan Caroline. That's a college basketball player right there. Does it all, has all the intangibles, defends, plays as the center, gets any big bucket you could ever ask. I mean, he's everything that the Martin brothers should be. And I want to bring up the, we'll talk about the Martin brothers later in this show. Finally, the best game of the weekend. We've been discussing it, you know, floating it out there here and there. UVA is going to Cameron Indoor Stadium, Virginia versus Duke. Duke, strangely, if they win this game, they might be able to hang on to their number one overall ranking, assuming, again, that Michigan's going to lose to Wisconsin. Um, but it's a big game. I mean, Virginia has been absolutely cruising. They went in. Uh, they beat the crap out of Virginia Tech at home in Charlottesville. Yeah, um, yeah that was tonight. That was a top 10 matchup. Was didn't nice. yeah. like it. Virginia, I mean, it kind of sucks to be a UVA fan just because – you know, no, none of this matters. You know, it's only going to matter. <laughs> it's only going to matter yeah. in about two, two and a quarter months from now is really when it's going to matter. It's their first tournament game. Yeah. Well, they, they no, could, no, it's got to be more than the first tournament. I mean, these guys got to make a final four. They well, have to I'm saying, four. I'm saying, yeah. So it's, it's actually, it does suck to be a Virginia fan because they're going to have, their assholes completely clenched in the first game. Then once they get past that, they're going to be relieved for about five minutes and then realize, wait a minute, we're probably a number one overall seed. we got to get to a final four. Shit. What if I, who knows the way the turns that the seasons can take here, but I, they, they can't, there's going to be no rest for them. There's going to be no layup game for them. They're always going to have their, the, the nightmare of what happened last year in the first round. They're, they're probably going to be a one seed or they're going to be a two seed, but anyone can beat them. That's the thing. They have three guys that can score. They got Kyle guy. They got um, freaking DeAndre Hunter and they got, who's the, who's the other guy? I think the, the other guard. Jackson. No, not Jackson. The other fucking guard. What? Who's uh, the other Kyle guard? guy? No, the other guard, goddamn guard. Who's the other guard? Uh, Give me a minute here. No, no, Ty Jerome. Ty Jerome. Ty Jerome. Yeah. Ty Jerome. Sorry, sorry for that. But anyways, those are the. If those guys are I, or if those guys are getting shut down, who do you go to? I mean, seriously, who who are you going to go to? And then that's kind of been consistent with these UVA teams over the past few years going way back to Joe Harris. And then, I mean, like, if he's not on, who are you going to go to? A young Malcolm Brogdon? All right, now it's Brogdon's team. Who are you going to go to when Brogdon's cold against Michigan State when Bryn Forbes is drilling shots all over you? Oh, maybe you'll get lucky and have Mariel Shayok make, you know, get three buckets in the first half. And then you're just grinding all the time. It just never works out. And again, I, I, I think this team's a little different just because Kyle Guy is a freaking assassin out there and he's got a lot more to his game. And Ty Jerome also an assassin, and obviously you got you got a NBA player there in Hunter. But I don't know. They need to. Yeah. They're good. They'll they'll beat Duke. They'll beat Duke this weekend. 
for all the reasons we discussed earlier in the episode about the significance of Trey Jones to Duke, UVA is going to find a way to just make Zion look like confused, look out of place, look uncomfortable, and they're going to make you know RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish beat him. Well, I think and Reddish might even be out for this game as well. So, yeah, they're, so gonna, they're gonna go home too after Reddish made his game winning shot. It was so powerful. Yeah, this is all because it's it's all first of all, this was an individual thing for Cam Reddish. Uh, but this is all because of Trey Jones if they go over to. I don't know. I don't know, but it does suck to be a UVA fan just because these are all kind of empty calories. So you're you're watching them, you know <laughs> they mean something to you, like they're filling you up a l- I guess a little bit, but they're not taking yeah. you to that next level. Um, not yet, at least. Not yet. So we'll see what happens. You got any other games? No, that's it. I mean, those are the big ticket ones. Those are some big games right there. I mean, you're looking at two of the better teams in the SEC, two of the better teams in the Big Ten, and, uh, you know, two of the best teams in the country going at it. So that's some upcoming feat for all of us to keep our eyes on. I'm definitely looking forward to that Michigan State-Nebraska game. That's a good That's a good call. Uh, I think or, excuse me, Michigan State is going to seriously get tested and – we're going to see fingers crossed Scott Frost courtside. Let's get to these last segments here. We're going to introduce a new segment. Actually, it's going to be called hug for you. So the inspiration for this comes from Jose Canseco, the great Jose Canseco and as great as Jose is his Twitter is even better. The guy's just completely off the rails, fuck three ways to the weekend. And what he'll occasionally say is hug for so-and-so. So it'll be, Hug for Donald Trump. Hug for the shark, right? Hug for the whore on the street corner. Who knows? He always gives out a nice hug. And so that's what we want to do here on Theater and College Hoops. We want to give out hugs. It's either a facetious hug, like, for example, hug for Nick Wright for being wrong about every goddamn thing ever that he's ever said. It's a facetious hug. I don't, it's not a real hug. Or a legitimate hug. For example, hug for Trey Jones. That injury sucks. So I'm going to kick this off. This is a new segment, Hug for You. And my first hug is going to be going to the state of Mississippi and Mississippi basketball. Both Mississippi State and Ole Miss ranked in basketball. I don't think that happened in college football this year. But a lot going on in Starkville and Oxford as well. And just as I say this, I'm pretty sure, regardless, Ole Miss has been hot as of late with the exception of tonight. And then Ben Halland, I actually want to give a hug to him specifically because on the first episode here, I gave a lot of shit to Ben Halland. I said he was about to get kicked out the door, and he's got them got them ranked in the top twenty five. So, state of Mississippi, hug for you. Question for you: Do they still call it the Egg Bowl if Mississippi and Mississippi State play against each other? Because Arizona and Arizona State is still like the territorial cup. You mean is in terms of basketball? Yes. Is that is that specifically reserved for football? I think also, it is. I think it is reserved for football. Okay. That's also an absurd name for I, I don't know the, the background of that, but the egg bowl. Hey, eggs are relevant these days. You see that Instagram account that's gotten like the most likes? No, I don't I don't it's a picture of an egg. It's a picture of an egg. Yeah. So hug uh, for Mississippi basketball. Yeah, I they did lose to LSU. That, that, that was a tough one tonight. Um, ben Allen with Mississippi State, those guys were ranked before the season started. Um, 
and I think they started off one and three in the SEC, and they also should have lost against Florida tonight, but they found a way to skate that one out with the weather spoon, with a money take to the basket at the end of the game. But yes, Ole Miss is definitely taking a lot of people by surprise. Kermit Davis, their coach, really turned this around quickly. Uh, Andy Kennedy, who was another bald-headed guy, could be could have been in our trio right there. Uh, he was there forever, um, and really his best team was the Marshall Henderson team. Um, but yeah, Ole Miss, watch out for him. It's normally pretty tough to play in Oxford, but LSU – Watch out for a team right there. Will Wade and LSU went in there and won by 14 tonight. So I'm with you. Hug for the state of Mississippi. Uh, have two teams that are, com- you know, in the middle to upper tier of the SEC this year, which is a very good conference. So good for them. And it's always good. Will Wade, American Gangster. You know, Rothstein says that, Will Wade, American Gangster. Like, I think he, there's legitimate meaning to that, strictly because Will Wade – and I know we touched on this on a previous show, but this guy is definitely shady. His name's grease thrown his out. Way up. Like, yeah. yeah, he was a manager. He never played. Greases his way up. Yeah, like how, the hell did, how the hell did you get a head coaching job? Yeah. I mean, Rothstein, like we're thinking, oh, yeah, you know, American gangster. Yeah, he's Rothstein just being Rothstein. I think there's something there. We'll wait. Especially when, I mean, think about that. Ben Simmons to LSU. Like Ben Simmons, it grows up in Australia. Where am I? Will Wade on that on that staff though at that time? Oh no, you're right. They, well, yeah, you're right. That that would have been Johnny Jones. Yeah. Damn it. Whatever. For oh, the story, okay. it's better if Will Wade was there. Yeah, we can pretend that's, that's fact. Will Wade right. recruited Ben Simmons. All right. Um, okay, so for my hug for you and. I, I love this segment. Canseco, we say that he tweeted this. I don't know how often Canseco tweets anymore other than when he's at the president to try to get some cabinet-level position. But he did say hug for you all the time. It was hilarious. Uh, he'd say it in you know sarcastic context, and he'd say it in personal context. Mine is going to be a sarcastic context. My hug for you is Caleb Martin of Nevada. Your boy, all right? Your boy. And the reason he's my hug for you over the weekend, I saw a tweet. Now, I'm going to pull it up just so I can get this accurate here. I see this tweet, and I think, Father, I included you on it. It was from this guy, Chris Murray, from somewhere in Nevada. And it's a story. It says, a preseason All-American, Caleb Martin, took himself out of Nevada's starting lineup Wednesday because he didn't think his recent play warranted a starting spot. And then coming off the bench, he torched, you know, San Jose State in a Wolfpack route. He benched himself. Give me a fucking break. What do you think? You're struggling a little bit? You don't think your performance is up to your standard, so you're going to take yourself out of the lineup? Fuck that. You're the team leader. You want to be the one that everyone's looking up to. You want to hold yourself accountable. You ride out when you're struggling. You stay on the court. You are the face of it. They need to see you work through your struggles rather than take yourself out of the fight. You think Kobe Bryant ever benched himself? You think Paul Pierce ever benched himself? You think any of these greats in the game of basketball, and this is how this guy plays his game. He's a flashy NBA-style guy, pull-up jumper, shoots the jumper over the top of his head, high release point. He's frail. And there's a story of him going to the freaking rookie camp this past year and just getting abused by all the rookies in Chicago before the, the before the NBA draft. No wonder, because you want to take yourself out after you've had a few bad games. 
Give me a fucking break. Have your hug. First of all, that is my boy. We both are at the same smart tech. We both are at the same Nevada. All right. So watch your mouth and help me with the sale. Number two, Caleb Martin, he showed and exhibited selflessness, awareness, and then he came off the bench and did his thing. Maybe he needed to bench himself. Everyone loves Manu Ginobili for taking a lesser role as a sixth man because he was better at it. Because he was Jamal a Crawford. Argentine. He this did it. He made his career as a sixth man. This guy's so, an all-American candidate. Caleb Martin just needed to reboot, put it into neutral, all right? And that's what he did. So I have no issues with what Caleb Martin did. Uh, I'm going to check real quick to see if they lost tonight because no, then won. that would be – They won. Did they really? Oh, <laughs> final beat, four still on, baby. They beat Boise State. What are you? What are you two-stepping about over there? Are you kidding me? Win, win is a win. I'm this is guy, a win. This guy, like, dude, so many red flags on his resume. Oh, I'm going to go to NC State for two years. Oh, it's too hard. I don't like it in the ACC. I'm going to transfer. Oh, I'm going to go way out into the desert. I'm going to go coach, play for Muscle Milk. I'm going to be there, and I'm going to play fast-paced basketball. Oh, yeah, that's great. Oh, I'm going to go to the draft. Oh, I'm not going to the draft. Oh, I'm going to start. Oh, I'm not going to start. Man up. At some point, when it gets tough, when you're playing in a Sweet 16 game outside of Raleigh, North Carolina, and you're playing against Wisconsin or someone else that's manning you up and you're getting grinded out, just remember, I said it first on January 15th, 2019. You're soft as cool whip, Caleb Martin. You bet, your, bet your sweet, sweet buns that I'll be taking them to the Final Four unless something drastic happens. But, okay, good, good facetious hug for Caleb Martin. I'm glad he was able to exhibit some awareness. And, you know, he's very critical on himself. He probably, Muscle Milk probably wouldn't have benched him. Very critical of himself. So, dramatic that's leadership it's drama <laughs> okay very last segment as we always end the program with this week in deep this week in deep eddie house dropped 60 for asu i think it was against cal so eddie house an nba champion with the boston celtics in 2008 asu sun devil dropping 60 in a college game is fucking absurd i feel like that doesn't get enough play because I mean, ASU basketball is irrelevant. Eddie House wasn't necessarily a huge name in college or in the pros. But could you imagine anyone in today's game dropping dropping sixty points? I mean, Zion had thirty plus the other game or last night, and I thought that was a huge deal. Sixty points on the road is is awesome. Marcus Howard, bro, would you have an aneurysm and forget like what we discussed earlier in the show? Marcus Howard did it. I'm going to take two laps for Bull Bull and Marcus Howard, but we're, take we're, Marcus we're Howard. We're laps tonight, Father. We're, we're getting it in. We're, we were in play tonight. But Marcus Howard and, and Bull Bull will take laps for that. Wipe away Marcus Howard, even though it absolutely counts. Well, but, in your defense, his. Well, he, first of all, he, he, yeah, he didn't hit 60. Yeah. I'm back. Half lap. One clap. Hold on. Um, but. Yeah, Eddie Howes, I mean, I love that guy. You got to have a guy like that on a team that wins. You got to have instant offense on the bench. You got to have something that you can just pop into the microwave and get you going when your guys like Caleb Martin are shriveling at a little ball because it's getting too loud and the defense is too hard and you're sweating too much and the other guy's too mean. You got to have a guy like Eddie Howes come in and just snap you right back into it. 
And I think Nevada, I don't know if they have that guy. They have Jordan Caroline. Again, I'm on the record, Jordan Caroline. That is my guy on Nevada. That is a type of player that you can win with. But when your leader, your All-American, is taking himself out of games as like some sort of message to you know the troops, like, hey, even I'm held to this standard. Get the fuck out of here. You're just embarrassed. You're trying to take a negative and spin it into something to make yourself feel better. Look, Nevada has beachfront property in your head right now. It's absurd. I've never been able to do a six degrees of separation between Eddie House and a 60-point performance and wind up at Caleb Martin in the Wolfpack, but you were able to do that. Thank you. All right. Curtains up. Everyone enjoy the – actually, close curtains. Everyone enjoy the games this week. We'll be back next week for another episode of Theater and College Hoops.